iDeveloper Live, episode 46. Oh, and boy, do I have a bunch of reprobates with me today. Oh, but let's start with the biggest baiter of all, the masturbator, Mr. John Fox. Oh, I'm coming, I'm coming. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. How are you, Job? I'm dandy. How are you, Scotty? I, I am very worried about this show, John, just based on the back channel chat that has been going on uh, for the last few minutes. Ascended to new heights of filth. Yes, yeah, so we've invited certain people on the show and our quality has um, just plummeted in, in, in moments. Um, so uh, uh, I, I, bet, I guess we'd better find out who they are, hadn't we? So they're all, they're all together in Amsterdam the uh, home of smut and filth so <laughs> i guess it's an appropriate place for them to be so who do we have over there so uh hi, hi i'm brandy uh, 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 uh this is Sol Sol and what about the little squeaky noise in the back who's that um, that's, uh, that's Judy, but she's uh, not looking at the microphone right now. She's Say hi, Judy. Hi, Judy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so she's refusing to be associated with you guys. Well, welcome oh, welcome to uh, iDeveloper Live, episode 46. As I've already said, today we're going to um, just have a general developer chat. Uh, or we might talk about something to do with development at some point during it anyway. Uh, so a whole bunch of stuff to uh, uh, to maybe talk about. The chat room. Welcome, chat room. It's good to, good to see you uh all on board as usual, and um, I guess we've got to start with, oh, what is it, it's not the iPad 3, the new iPad. There we are. So, I mean, what happens when it's not new anymore? I mean, why call it the new iPad? Because in six months it won't be new, it will be the old iPad. Maybe so, they'll um, send out uh, an operating system update to like change the name in iTunes, so it says, you know, crappy old iPad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, as opposed to, yeah, you should, you should really upgrade your iPad. This is an old piece yeah. of crap. Um, so there we are. Uh, okay, so I guess, um, was it a big deal? Nothing, nothing unexpected. I guess the Retina display is the only bit that really affects us as developers, but I guess a lot of people have already been preparing their uh, iPad apps for, you know, uh, with 2X-based graphics and everything. So is there anything we need to talk about, or should we move on? I think we can move on unless you want to do a quick round table. Do you think it's, it's cool or not? I say it is. Yeah, I think it's pretty cool. But um, one thing I noticed you know, today, uh, so we're, we're all kind of sharing that you know, standard home broadband here in uh, Amsterdam Central. And I had a bunch of uh, software, you know, um, app store updates on my existing old and busted iPad. Uh, and you know these apps are now like absolutely huge because the like the resources to cover the kind of the app 2x um, image files they bump these things up they're, they're kind of at least like three or four times as big some of them yeah so doesn't that mean that uh, we're going to need the more than the 16 gigabyte small Wi-Fi iPads now for all of our stuff I mean just for gonna... resources we have iCloud for resources. Yeah, we don't need it for the music or the movies anymore. We need it just for the apps to stay on there. And so I guess this is going to affect us also on the um, the 3G downloads, um, that less and less apps are going to be able to come down on 3G. Well, I think that what we should do is just you know do away with signing certificates and let apps kind of download their own resources and anything else that they might wish to download and inject into the thing. <laughs> so what could wrong? Does the security man want to have anything to say about that? I'm, I'm I'm too busy having like a fit of apoplectic rage to reply right now. <laughs> we are. 
<laughs> yeah, so that, that explains your uh, the photo on Skype. You know, this is the, what's happened when they put you in jail after that fit of apoplectic rage. <laughs> right, okay, so basically we all, we all sound pretty like, oh yeah, let's just move on. This is developers, we don't really care. Who's ordered one then? Let's find out who's ordered one. John, you ordered one? No, not yet. I'm holding out. I, I'm actually trying to uh, replace my my. Well, you're my waiting Flintstone. for the you're waiting for the new new iPad. No, no, no. no. I, I decided that I wanted to replace my Flintstones era MacBook Pro so that I can run Mountain Goat on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Meanwhile, real Sarman's going goat goat. Wait, were we talking about goats again? <laughs> Yeah. All right. Um, Simon's just pointing out in the oh, Simon Wolf. Everyone say hello to Simon Wolf. Roar. There we go. Um, uh, Simon's just pointed out they've up- upped the three G download limit to fifteen megabytes. Is that a fact or is that a question? He's put a question a mark fact. in there. No, that's true. I mean, the problem is it still takes a long time to download uh, stuff over three G, and it does tend to cost quite a bit of money. So you know, the fact that you can download more stuff over 3g just makes it more expensive and slower i think well as if everybody would just kind of you know man up and do uh you know pdf pdf stuff then they wouldn't have to have all these at 2x stuff right you have scalable vector graphics for your ui i mean forget you know all these kind of organic textures everything everything should look kind of like windows phone which is very very simple and flat you really are in a bad mood today, aren't you, John? Yeah, I'm <laughs> the angry old man of the <laughs> Right, I mean, 50 meg, I mean, that's quite a lot over 3G, especially if you're in a foreign country. I think that would have cost, what, 450-odd dollars to download a 50 meg app across the 3G if I'm in the States. <laughs> it, it better only be 99 cents, otherwise that's more than I could afford. <laughs> <laughs> all right, anyone else? Who in Amsterdam saw you ordered one? I have not. Actually, is not uh, compelling enough for me at the moment. I do like the uh, Retina display, but I've already got an iPad 1 and a 2, and uh, I know, even the processor bump wasn't enough for me just yet. So I'm going to hold off for a little while myself. That and I actually um, I had to buy a whole new laptop while I was out here anyway, so that really ate my budget. Okay. And um, uh, Jeff? Yes, sir. I... Uh I bought one, yeah. Uh, kind of feel like you have to have every generation if you're if you're going to be developing and testing these things. So uh, that's my excuse. Right, right. It's yeah. a good one too. Yeah, Rob. Uh, no, not yet. No, but I have a funny feeling. Once I go into the store, uh, I'll be buying one. As soon as I see it, I'll want to buy one. But I already have a two, and I upgraded from a one. So in my head, I can't justify it, but it'll happen. Okay, so that's one out of six of us has ordered pre-ordered. I, I suspect um, with the iPad 2, that number would have been quite different. So should we not be expecting huge queues on Friday, or, or, are, or do you think there still will be? Well, just on a point of order, you didn't ask me, but I'll tell didn't you I? anyway. Oh, uh, <laughs> I just assumed I they wouldn't let you have one in jail. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's amazing what you can smuggle through if you, if you learn to like John Wayne. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I currently have a, a first-generation iPad, and um, kind of felt a need to uh, to get something a bit newer a couple of months back, but held off because I knew that there was going to be the new thing uh, coming out soon. So I did pre-order the new iPad um, 
when it was announced. But that's because you didn't have a two. You didn't have a two, though. So that's a distinct point. Yeah, that's distinct, isn't it? Yeah. So I, I skipped that generation. Um, I think in the UK they've uh, they've sold out of the uh, pre-order ones. Yeah, so they um, had four though. Sorry, they only had four. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my, myself and Matt um, both kind of got our shipment notifications uh, you know, while we've been over here. Matt gave all letters. Yeah, I got both. Um, so uh, but a bunch of other people have had their like, delivery dates pushed back, uh, and they're currently saying that it's. You know, a, a, an additional um, four weeks or so on the website, so they've they've definitely sold out, so, and ones. there will be queues uh, when when they launch in the, in the shops, definitely. Okay, uh, I'm going to I'm going to take a gamble that you could probably walk into a, a decent sized Apple store in the UK, down in the states, on Saturday morning and get one. I. Well, I, you know, I, I don't think in the United States. I mean, I think they they, they sold out their thing. I, yeah, they'll have some, but I suspect that there'll be lines. I think there there are enough people sufficiently excited. But now, aside from the hardware, there's something that I, that caught my eye that I, I only kind of took a quick look at. But I was interested in the fact that Apple seems to have the ability in iPhoto to publish something permanently, and you and I and everyone else don't. And that made me a little bit uh, pissy. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? No. No. Do you care? Okay. So no, I do care, iPhone, but you'll have to, you'll have to explain further because okay, I, have well, not, so I, I, I didn't, I, I didn't see, I haven't seen the announcement yet. I was away at the time. I haven't caught up yet. I've just read the website on the iPad. So I have no idea. I mean, I'm just, you know, I, what, what do I need to know about anything that's going on in the world for? Nothing. So, so iPhoto, which I think is actually a pretty nice app. I, I saw some kind of mean things written about it for the, the, the iPhone version. But I think it's pretty stunning that they packed that amount of power in, in, into a, a pretty usable user interface. But one of the nice things it has is, is sharing. And so you can, you can share in any number of different ways, but they have a kind of a basic uh, web reproduction of, of these, these things, things called journals, which is essentially it's a grid of images with little grids that can be you know, notes or, 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 or a map or a calendar information or weather information. And so you can publish it and it is hosted on iCloud, but it, it, it's obviously, since it's a web page, they're having permanent URLs. It's not like it's not, it's not like the, you know, we'll let you share something for a small amount of time, the idea that it's a permanent record. So, you know, Memory Miner and anyone else who, who used uh, .Mac, for instance, or MobileMe had the ability to publish stuff and have it served out from a web server. And that was a service that was, you know, noticeably absent from the iCloud cloud offerings and so now apple has this the question i have is is that are other developers going to be able to do this anyone in amsterdam want to comment well it seems yeah. john that no one is really interested in your <laughs> no comments so we'll just um you know stuff you let's move on right okay <laughs> now the um the biggest uh, part of discussion on um uh, the pre-show well, that makes it sound very formal doesn't it that we had a pre-show the waffle that occurred before I turned the dials up and everyone else could hear it. Um, the universalization of daylight saving because America is stupid, I think was the comment that was said. Um, so, uh, um, yeah, please, just, just so I know for next week, tell me when, you know, wh how do I calculate daylight saving for the US? Is there a, a fixed method for me to do it? Because obviously in my apps, I want to understand this as well because I might write a um, what time of day it is app and not want to use the clock on the iPhone. Uh, I have no idea. I thought that that NS date would take care of that for you, or NS calendar. No, no I want to know in, in just in, in real life. How do I know when daylight savings in America so I don't screw it up again? 
I don't know. Ask Siri. Don't you have an iPhone for us? No. Just say what time. I have no idea. I, I thought that it was just like, you know, it's yeah, not even as, as calculable as Ramadan. We, just kind of somebody decides time just flip yeah, the Yeah, but clock. we can calculate here in the UK. We know exactly when daylight saving is coming. But um, obviously you guys don't. Uh, well, what can I say? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna, you know, shoulder the burden of defending everything about the United States for the rest of the world. So we've got the Wikipedia entry for daylight savings time here because that's going to be correct. Um, and I mean, we, we may have to come back and do another episode in about a fortnight because the page is huge. Yeah, there's so many different special cases and uh, the different things that have been done at different times by different countries and different parts of the country it's not it's not a simple uh, thing i know in the uk there's been discussion about kind of moving uh moving away from having winter time so that we're on the same time as the european time zone now whether that will ever really happen or not i don't know yeah it's the second sunday in march for uh, uh springing forward and uh the first sunday in november but that's only since 2007 when Congress changed it. That's for the US. the U.S. and Canada, but not Newfoundland and Labrador. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and and Arizona. doesn't um, um, Arizona doesn't even comply anyway, does it? Uh, no. With anything. Yeah, I mean Arizona. This is a lawless state, you know, old west style. So you're saying it ma- it makes Nevada look like Switzerland or something, or? Uh, sure. <laughs> anyway, that's totally irrelevant to almost everyone <laughs> listening. I, I just wanted to know for my own benefit when um, when this daylight uh, saving was because, um, well, because I apparently didn't know that you were changing. Because in the UK, it's always the uh, the final, the last Sunday of March. It's uh, well, the last Saturday night, Sunday morning of March. Um, but I didn't know. But was it Jeff who just helped me out with the real thing there? The 2007 it version? It was really Wikipedia, but it was Jeff reading it. Well... That's half the battle. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> right. oh, dear, I'm impressed. We got Jeff to read something. Right, okay. <laughs> we have something else to complain about. The simulator has no kind of software home button, unless I'm missing something. Isn't it like a command H? Yeah, I know, but okay, so is it, yeah, but that's kind of a pain, because then how do you, you know, you have to do it twice in succession to do a, it's a you know, command shift H twice to, to 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 quit the app in the simulator, for example. What we can see here is that uh, Rob's got the uh, the iPad Retina display simulator on his 11 inch MacBook Air. Now <laughs> yeah. we can we can really see the beautiful artwork. It has on the one, Safari one icon. big icon on the entire screen. But it really wouldn't matter if there was a home button there or not. Yeah, yeah. I put it into the I put it into the chat and we screenshot so you can see. But it's a bit mad. You can only see the Safari icon. So are we saying with the announcement this week that the MacBook um, Air, 11-inch MacBook Air, is is no longer a practical development machine for iPad applications? Maybe maybe it was a retina display. No, I mean, what you can do is you can can go to the window menu and you can zoom out, uh, so it's fine. It's just the very first thing that you see when you switch to that retina display is just the Safari icon, but then you just zoom out to 50% and you're fine. Yeah, in the simulator, the uh, command one, two, and three keys are your friend. All right. Well, somebody, some some snarky person on on the chat has said, "Well, we should just file radars for this. Maybe we should start moving the conversation to that uh, uh, <laughs> novel novel chat topic." Oh, that's smooth, John. That's smooth. Yeah. 
Very professional. You're doing a good Thank job there. Yeah. That's good. Sorry, what you want to buy? <laughs> Fixed radar or GTFO, as they say. So what does that mean, then, Graham? What does that mean? Yeah. Um, I think it was uh, Pilkey who started this, Martin Pilkington. Um, I mean, GTFO stands for glad tidings for our overlord, or no? Yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, after um, WWDC last year, there was a, uh, a meme going around. It was a picture of... Uh, Mike Jurowitz, the developer tools evangelist at Apple, and it said radar or GTFO uh, because you know Apple use radar for uh, for tracking bugs that come from third-party developers. Um, and what uh, fixed radar or GTFO is saying is that uh, you know, radar isn't a very helpful tool. It's not a it's not a good thing to use. It's not a it's not a good experience, and so it makes it um, hard for us to file bugs and hard for us to want to file bugs and that you know perhaps apple is suffering as a result from not getting you know the full benefit of like, third-party developer feedback and, and so the point is what's the argument that's going on here can i explain just assume that people know absolutely nothing okay so radar's the problem so what's the solution or what's start the start with electrons solution? yeah <laughs> yeah. Don't don't assume that don't assume that the audience have a, a, an understanding of the argument or the conversation that's going on out there. They're all too right. busy coding. They don't spend waste their lives talking on Skype and Twitter and other stuff about all this stuff. So you know they've just decided you know their fingers were burning out. They've been coding all day. I'll just chill just for a moment and listen to this show. And oh, you what's all this stuff you're talking about? It's, you know, take a step back. I know you want to work down at the low level. Take a step back. Give us the big picture. So, you know, let's, let, you're writing your application, you find that um, some part of the uh, framework, uh, some part of Coco doesn't um, behave the way you expect. Um, and that <clears throat> actually there's, there's a bug in Apple's software. And this is uh, stopping you adding some feature to your app, or it's, uh, it means that your app doesn't behave correctly. Uh, on your users' uh, iPhones or iPads um, because of this problem that Apple has. So what you want to be able to do is to, um, to tell Apple that this problem exists uh, and so that they can fix it. And also you want to know when they fixed it uh, and you know, what, what their timeline is for doing that so that you can prepare. Do uh, you, you know whether you need to have a workaround or whether you can just... Uh, hold off and release your app when a later version of the uh, of iOS comes out. Um, and so they have this uh, tool called Radar, which is uh, a web application. You log in using your uh, developer ID, and it lets you kind of enter um, you know, all of the details about the bug, the steps to reproduce, the, what you think should happen, uh, what actually happens when you first noticed it, and, uh, and that kind of thing. Um, the problem... The problem, as stated, is that because it's impossible to uh, to see anybody else's bugs, you, you can see all the bugs that you've filed, but you can't see everybody else's. And what that means is that you know you don't know whether someone else has already uh, reported this thing, and you can just like vote it up effectively. You, know, you can you can say I've got I, I, I'm being burned by this same problem that Saul is, for example. Uh, you you can't do that. Uh, so some people created uh, Open Radar, which, if you're willing to enter the same bug report twice in two different systems, <coughs> means that other people can see uh, 
the, the other bugs that have been reported. And so you can say, I'm finding this bug, which is a duplicate of, uh, of this other one. Um, and but then once you've done that, once you've actually reported this thing to Apple, the feedback uh, that they will give you is based on a, uh, a series of different canned responses. Um, and there's no real kind of uh, inspection of the process as it's going on. Uh, if, if they find that somebody else has already filed the bug, they'll close it. If they have fixed it or don't want to fix it, then they'll close it. If they want to track it in a system that isn't radar, they'll close it. And so you, you very quickly get to a point where you don't get any more information. And because you, know, you need to, to know what's going on so that you know how to react to this problem uh, in releasing your own applications, you know, the, the, this is kind of uh, stopping people being as efficient as they could be. So um, we had when we had Bill Dudney on several uh, I don't know, several episodes ago. He was was quite adamant that you know he was definitely on the the, the file a radar. I don't want to don't want to hear it. Um, and and and, and I, not to, to retroactively put words in his mouth, but he said you know you can rail about how good or bad it is, but it is the only thing that we have. So if you know, if, if you care to see things fixed or to, to give feedback, this is your only option. What do you think? Do you think that you should just suck it up and, and report these things, whether or not you enjoy the experience? I definitely agree that if you want Apple to do something, then you, you kind of have to play in their turf. You, know, you have to uh, do what they want because you know, they are the, uh, the, the half trillion dollar company and we're, the, you know, we're not, basically. Um, so you know, get, getting angry at them and saying you need to do something about this. Yeah. On, on what basis do they do they need to do something about it? If it, if it works for them and they're you know, making money hand over fist, then there's yeah, where's the incentive uh, for them to change it? Uh, it, it isn't a, a great experience, and what we what we should be doing is uh, you know explaining to Apple how they could have uh, more benefits. You know how we could be helping them to improve their products. Um, but yeah, if you want something fixed by Apple, then you absolutely have to uh, to file a radar. That doesn't mean that it's the only thing you should do. I, I, I'm constantly surprised by the number of developers I come across who don't have any uh, contact with people in Apple. And there's you know there's worldwide developer relations. There's developer evangelists whose job is essentially to talk to us to find out what the what the pain points are of being a third-party developer. What, what it is that uh, Apple can do to help us and then to feed that back into the company. So, yeah, file the, uh, the radar report. You know, it might take you half an hour or an hour to do. Um, but then don't, don't stop there. You know, tell the appropriate evangelists that you have this problem. Um, you know, get it onto their systems. T tell them what it is that, uh, that you could be doing if you weren't having to work around this bug. What you know? What new and exciting apps you could be adding to their ecosystem, uh, be, but you're being held back by the by the problems that they're facing. Make it make make, make it clear to to Apple that you know, there there is this problem, that their world would be better and your world would be better if you work together with them on fixing. Don't just say, oh, this is rubbish. Apple, you, the, you know, you're, you're doing some rubbish stuff. Like I hate this. Actually, try and work with them. 
Right, so... I mean, Apple have this system, the radar system, and anyone who's used it knows that it's, it's not very good. And it probably was developed a long time ago. I don't know who developed it, whether it was in-house, out-house. There's various discussions going on. Um, it wasn't developed in the out-house. That's not what I meant, <laughs> although it could have been. Um, various discussions going on in the chat room. You know, and Maybe they just never updated it. But um, as you said, if we want to talk to Apple, that's the way they've chosen to do it. And that's the way we have to do it. Now, every developer out there chooses their own support system. Um, and I'm going to... Um, you know, I'm going to ask how many developers let their customers see all of the known bugs in their software. Right. So um, in uh, in the O2 lab, we use uh, Get Satisfaction. Uh, you know, it's kind of cloud-based uh, support system. So actually, uh, the default is for, um, for for issues to be public. I believe. I think, I think you you can make them private by ticking a box. Um, but we've chosen to. You know, let people kind of share experiences. It means that if uh, if one person has found a way to like work around a problem, then they can uh, share that. They can. Uh, there's also voting on issues and get satisfaction. So it is actually quite a public and uh, an open process we use. What about you, other guys? Well, one of the one of the issues uh, with with um, allowing people to see duplicates not only is not only that you know Apple doesn't want everyone to see a list of all the bugs is that those bugs often do contain. Uh, confidential or NDA information uh, on both sides of the house. We sometimes have to go to clients to get special permission to give Apple information they need to solve a bug, and that goes in the radar. And so, you know, if that were made available to other people, that could be a problem. So, you know, there, it's not a simple matter of just making this this existing system work so that everyone can see everything or everyone can see dupes. Um, but you know, the fact that we have no way of um, not not only not searching for dupes, but once you've entered one and yours gets closed as a dupe, you've lost the ability to track your own bug because it's been closed and is being tracked as part of another bug that you don't have access to. And I think that's really the the crux of the sort of biggest complaint, the biggest problem that most of us have. Unfortunately, it's just not an easy problem to fix. I mean, if you look at the radar numbers that are being assigned, we're way over a million. I mean, it's a big enterprise system. It's not something that they're going to just knock out a replacement for overnight and then, you know, get up and running easily. It's it's going to be difficult. Now, you know, I think we can we can all say that, you know, from our point of view as developers, we would like something better, and it would be great if they give us something better. We really want Apple to give us something better, but until they do, this is the only tool we have to, to give them feedback. So just Hobson's choice, you know. Um, we should let Apple know we're happy, but we shouldn't stop using the tool. So, didn't didn't wasn't Pilkey the guy who wrote a kind of a, a detailed list of suggestions, all of which sounded quite um, quite clever and 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 reasonable? Yep, and with That's radar awesome. numbers to file as well, if you want to do particular problems that he was uh, focusing on. So is yeah. that um, fixradar or gtfo dot com? And uh, oh, really? yeah, gtfo stands for get the funk out. It's a song uh, from the 1970s. Um, I believe that Simon Wolfe used it in the soundtrack for one of his movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear, oh dear. I mean, the point is, you know, Apple have their internal ways of, of, of doing stuff. I'm sure, that, I'm sure the information they get from developers is... Yeah, incredibly valuable to them, and, and they do use it. And I mean, it, um, you know, I can't imagine there's someone employed in Apple just to close bug reports because they don't want to hear them. You know, it's, it's not like oh, we've got this stuff and people are being a pain in the backside. Basically, they're trying to, 
you know, fix this stuff. They're trying to add new features and they're trying to process it. And, you know, actually, I don't care that you know, you're reporting this bug. We now know about it. I'm just going to close it because we don't want our engineers getting gumped up with having 17 versions of this in there. This is our tool. You know, thank you very much for putting it in there. But, you know, bog off and leave us alone now. I mean, they have no reason to tell you what's going on with that bug. I mean, they don't tell you what they're going to release next week. I mean, you know, why would they tell you what they're doing with the bug? They, they, they take the information and they will use it the way they want to use it. Now, you can stop giving the information if you want, but then you have no, you know, if they don't fix things, that's now your problem because you didn't tell them. So, I mean, I, I know it could be better, but oh, I don't know. I'm just thinking... Yeah, yeah. Why do we? Why do we want? Why? Why do we need the information? We just need to make sure they know about it. Why? Because it's getting in the way. We don't necessarily fix problems or ways our apps work just because one user is getting in the way of. So why would they? The, I, I guess the one response that I, I can think of is um, Apple. The DTS engineers will often put a workaround in there for the uh, original filer. So uh, they'll put in there that it's a known bug or that engineering is working on it. But a lot of times they'll actually go in there and say, you know, here's what you can do in the meantime. And that's something that gets lost for all of the people who filed dupes. So that, you know, that information currently is not getting to all the people that it could help. You know, the, the, they're sort of not maximizing their ability to help the developers, which is their job, because there is no linkage. So, I mean, it's, it's not just us and them because, you know, I'm sure they get a lot of DTS tickets which are exactly the same uh, same problem over and over. I'm sure they don't enjoy that any more than mm. any engineer enjoys working on the same problem over and over. And in general, like the, the interaction that we have with Apple shouldn't be us and them at all. It should be us and us because, you know, I, I can't sell any of my apps if they don't also sell iPhones. So, you know, we're on the same side. So, is it surely are the aren't, yeah? If you want no information in workarounds, isn't the developer forums the place for this now, as opposed to their bug, their internal bug tracking system? Uh, it's not a substitute, I don't think. I mean, I, I think that the dev forums are certainly a place where I, you know Apple engineers have given people information, and certainly you know they do read uh, a lot of the stuff that goes on there. Uh, but I don't think it's I don't think you'd want to consider it as a replacement for radar. No. Oh, I mean, there's somebody, Coco Dog, on the uh, brings up the, the the very very important point that uh, you know this to fix it and to do it well requires quite a bit of investment and some rather bright engineers. And if you have bright engineers and you're an Apple, you know, person in charge of trying to get the biggest bang for this thing, would you put it on fixing this problem while you're you know selling half a trillion dollars worth of of, of machinery every week, or would you try and and build the new feature that that gets you to a full trillion? I think that the solution is. Is Google seems to be quite handy with this stuff. I mean, there's Google Google Docs. So why don't they just ask Apple? Oh, sorry, ask Google to kind of host their bug tracking and bug reporting system. I'm sure they'd be very happy to. <laughs> yeah, good luck with that, John. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe they should just put all of their source code on GitHub and uh, just use you know GitHub issues or something. Just open source the thing. Yeah, fork, yeah. yeah, and if you get if, 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 or GTFO. you could just you could just fork you know, ten points <laughs> and just do it like with it. Right. Well, that was actually, um, you know, quite a good discussion. Actually, I'm quite surprised. There we are. Um, so, actually, is it, is it this point of the show where you're thinking, actually, yeah, oh, this might be a reasonable show, as opposed to about 20 minutes ago when it was just a pile of crap? Um, you can, you know, this is now the good time to say we would love your iTunes comments, but only if you've got this far. Not if you're still 20 minutes back. Don't. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. So, uh, go to iTunes. Give us, give us, give us the comments now, and do it before you listen to the rest, because I can't verify what the rest of the show is going to be like either. So, just stop right now. 
go do some iTunes comments. We'll just wait for you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Do appreciate it. Right, okay. What next then? Come on, someone give me an idea. It's a general discussion. You've all got loads to say. Jeff, what's the thing that troubles you most in the development world at the moment? No, no, stop, Jeff. Tell me about your walking desk. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, um, yeah, I have a, uh, uh, a desk that I've built uh, over, a, over a treadmill. And uh, for about the last two months, uh, I've been walking instead of sitting while I work. A uh, uh, couple of blog posts out there on it. Got quite, a, quite an amazing amount of uh, feedback, actually, from, from different people. Um, it's been kind of cool. I've uh, lost a little over 30 pounds. Uh, someone can convert that to kilometers for civilized people for me. Uh, pounds to kilometers. You've lost several miles. I mean, that's a fairly large waste. <laughs> um, yeah, it's working out pretty well. I actually kind of enjoy it. It was my sort of one hesitation to uh, coming over to... Uh, uh, Amsterdam and then to uh, uh, NSConf is that I'm, I'm, I'm having to sit my ass all day again and maybe not the best thing for me but uh, we'll find you a treadmill uh, right. we'll find you a treadmill you can be in the middle of the NS conference room on your treadmill all day <laughs> well isn't that how we're going to power the Wi-Fi system yeah, <laughs> yeah you can you, you can be <laughs> no let's not even go there <laughs> I guess that's better than a hamster wheel so, so I mean did yeah, you have to my, my have question was is did you have did you have to learn to sort of type again while work walking? I mean, how long did it take you to get used to typing or using the trackpad or do you use a mouse when walking? I mean, I've seen the desk on your blog post, I mean, and it's like, you know, a major bridge construction project. I mean, you know, it's just like <laughs> scaffolding and iron and, you know, all this stuff everywhere. And it's just like, you know, and then you've decided to find the heaviest stuff you can to put on the desk just to prove it's a manly desk. Um, um, well, I went the other way around. I made, I built it like that because I had heavy stuff to put on it. But uh, um, Do you want to be just to buy a MacBook Air, you know, but there we are. Um, it's, uh, what I did so, is I actually, yeah. I built a sort of a, a temporary one. So basically I just put uh, a couple of uh, uh, wood planks uh that I leveled on the handlebars, and for about a week, I just worked on my MacBook Air on it, just to see if I could do it. And surprisingly, it's really—it's not that hard. You start—I started relatively slow speed. I was like at 1.3 miles an hour when I first started, and really at that speed, there's not much—not uh, much difficulty typing or mousing or using the trackpad. Um, uh, it takes maybe two hours to sort of get adjusted, and then after about a week, it's really second nature. Um, the faster you go, of course, it, it, you know when you get up over two to two and a half miles per hour, you can you can notice some loss of precision when you're mousing. Uh, if you had to do like um, really pixel perfect graphic design work, you might need to back off your speed a little. Uh, but for coding, it really hasn't hasn't seemed to be an issue. Um, I think overall, my productivity is probably up. Uh, it does fluctuate a little when I get towards the end of the day, especially end of the week. A lot of times, I'll I'll have to. Uh, uh, if I've got a tough problem, a lot of times I'll just have to back off and go sit down at my regular desk. But uh, most of the time, uh, most of the time it works out really well. And sometimes I feel like I'm actually, you know, more productive. So, Is that because you need to concentrate more? Because if you lose concentration, you just end up at the other side of the room on your backside? Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it could be. It's just survival instinct, yeah. Um, could be. Have you uh, made an OK Go style music video? Uh, no, I'd, uh, I'm at this point really not really thrilled about the idea of seeing people seeing me on the, uh, on the treadmill. <laughs> I don't know, that was a total sidetrack because I think it's an amazing idea and I'd, 
I'd love to do it, but I haven't bothered to build one, and someone ought to just manufacture one and sell it. I mean, I know there are some, but I mean, they're hard to get hold of, and they're incredibly expensive. Um, but uh, I think it's a it cool idea. It doesn't take a lot to build one, um, so uh, you can get some stuff from Ikea to do it, because uh, coincidentally, uh, the day before I came out to Amsterdam, I actually got a treadmill, because uh, I was going to do what Jeff's doing, um, so I got a treadmill and a couple of boxes from Ikea and just raised the desk up, and, and it fits in perfectly, so if you want to try it for a week or whatever, you grab a treadmill off Gumtree or off uh, eBay or something, and you can try it very low cost, you don't have to build a massive desk for it. So, Jeff, you so, undertake a major engineering project. You produce diagrams and you, you know, construction <laughs> things. He goes out, gets a couple of boxes of my IKEA and sticks his desk on it. <laughs> well, in all fairness, the diagrams were done after the fact when people asked me to, to put up uh, a blog post with build instructions. Yeah. So. And I, I don't know if I'm going to keep it or not. You know, I want to try it out uh, uh, for a while. So um, it's good for tryout. And then, you know, I'll build a desk if I, uh, if I find that I need it or if it's unstable or anything like that. But it'll at least let me do it for a couple of weeks and see if it's worth investing all the money in. Because I only have a, I have a very small treadmill as well. I just got it for £100 off Gumtree, you know. It'll do me for a month, but it's not going to last for a year, for example. <laughs> yeah. That sounds cool. I, I really do want to try it, but you said it, actually if you don't, that's probably a, a very good way forward because if you don't like it, it's a lot of money to invest um, and then sort of have to sort out again. Okay, that was that was a total aside. Um, someone's just suggested a topic in in the chat room. What's our favorite developer resource these days? I don't know what they mean by resource, whether they're talking about tool sets or websites or blogs or whatever else. So anybody got a favorite development resource they want to tell us about? Who said that? Beautiful Funk said that. So... Um, uh, if you want to expand on that beautiful funk so we can actually answer your question, that's fine. Um, but um, anyone got anything they want to share with us? Where do you go for inspiration? What tool do you do you use and think, this is wonderful and I couldn't live without it? Well, something that I've recently um, picked up and uh, was talking to um, Simon Wolf about it uh, when, when he was on your show talking about the, uh, the paperless office is that I've got a, um, a Wacom Bamboo stylus <coughs> and the Bamboo uh, paper app for iPad. And you know, I've, I've just kind of given up on like uh, moleskins and you know, notepaper and pencils and all this stuff and just have this thing uh, with, like, you know, I, I can like, um, write some notes, draw diagrams alongside the notes, um, you know, stick that all together. You can <coughs> export them to Evernote as well which means that you can then kind of tag them up and they become searchable and everything. And that's, you know, that's kind of really helps for those times that I'm not actually at Xcode writing code and I'm like, you know, trying to think about how I design something or draw a user interface uh, prototype or something. You know, the, those, in those contexts, then having a, an iPad size has really, you know, really changed the way I work. Cool. Anyone else? Uh, I suppose you would have to mention Stack Overflow. Um, I uh, I have an app on my uh, on my machine that blocks out blocks out uh, Twitter and, and RSS and everything like that. That's really helpful for me. Um, it's called uh, Concentrate. Um, that's a, a big thing that I found recently. But uh, everything else is just normal. It's just developer docs and things like that. So there was a couple of. Uh, so Websites in the uh, the chat room, uh, Coco Controls and Coco Objects. Yeah, I was just looking at Coco Controls. It looks quite interesting, actually. Yeah, I, I've I found that a while ago. There was also um, another blog 
out there called iDev Recipes, where they'll actually go through and deconstruct a lot of uh, UIs from popular apps. Like they, they showed you how to do the big uh, middle button on the tab bar and how to get that to, to look work seamlessly and how to do um, some of the stuff from the original Tweety app, uh, things like that. Um, those are some good ones. Um, and if you're looking for like uh, UI insight. Sorry, what was that called? What was that called, Saul? Uh, it was iDev Recipes. Uh, I'll see if I can find the uh, the link and put it in the chat room for you. Yeah, I've got it here, but it hasn't been updated in a wee while. So. Yeah, that you know when I was reading for, through that originally, it was uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, I oh, know. I remember seeing it at the time, but uh, it's kind of. I think the guy got a, a job at Zarly, so he hasn't oh, really updated it. No. So I'll put it in anyway. Right, and you were talking about uh, like inspiration. Uh, there's uh, another couple of websites called uh, iOS Inspires Me and macOS Inspires Me. Um, so it's iosinspires.me, and uh, there's a lot of good uh, um, visual UIs for apps. Which if you have, uh, I've used this for a couple of things to um, kind of get some ideas on um, looking for ways to to just present the UI in my app differently or just to, just to kind of see how people, other people solve particular visual problems in their apps. Um, and those, you know, there's some for the iOS and some for the Mac. So there's good stuff for everybody there. Okay, cool. Anyone else? Our cool places. No. Well, what about you, Scotty? What, what's yours? What's mine? Yeah. Um, None spring to, to mind. I love the fact that there's this whole tool set stuff coming up around and there's lots of people going out some of the stuff that we've been looking at the last few weeks, like the fact that people are developing tools like Slender App, uh, the, the whole hockey app stuff. That you know, The fact that there is a, a group of people now developing stuff for developers is it's, it's becoming a, um, I don't know if it's a viable market, but becoming one interesting. I just think the whole fact that these things are coming up, I find really exciting and just to see what people are going to do and um you know obviously there are more blogs and whatever now coming you know than you can even mention or name whereas you know just four years ago five years ago um you know the whole reason we started these podcasts was because there was nothing really um but the fact that now people are beginning to develop uh you know a whole bunch of tool sets for developers is i just find really exciting you know if i if uh, i get another tool real quick uh uh, one that I really can't live without, developer tool. Uh, it's called Source Tree. If you use Git, Mercurial, or Subversion, it's free on the App Store. And it is the most awesome Git client that I've used. Uh, especially recently, they've made it lightning quick. And uh, I don't know, I, I like the way that they handle merges and branching and uh, pulling and pushing and all the stuff that you do every day on uh, in Git and any distributed um, source control thing. So I highly recommend it and uh, it's free. Okay, that's cool. Anyone else got tools that they want to recommend? Um, does any does everyone? Uh, well, I'll explain what it is anyway. I'm just uh, finding out whether the other people on the podcast have used Code Runner. It's uh, yes. uh, a few dollars. Yeah. Um, it's a little. It, it, you know, it's a very kind of uh, simple, very focused IDE that just lets you type code and hit run. Uh, you know, so you can like try out some like prototype code. Uh, you know, test out a method. Uh, it's not just Objective C as well. It does C, C plus plus, Java, PHP, JavaScript, a uh, bunch of whole, uh, you know, large range of languages. And so, you know, just for kind of working out like how to get this thing done, it's a it's a really cool little uh, thing. I'm like um, you know, Rob mentioned Stack Overflow earlier. I'll often, if I'm answering a question on there, 
like type the code that I think answers the question into yeah. Code Runner just to you know, make sure I've got it right before pasting into yeah. into the browser. There's one that I uh, that I remember now that you've said that. Um, it's called uh, Patterns. Uh, it's for regular expressions. It's exactly <laughs> like that. Are we going to say just that? Just gazumped. Uh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's it's exactly the same. It's for regular expressions, and you can put your regular expression in and see what it'll match, and uh, and work in that, and then take it back to whatever you were doing before. So it's fantastic as well. Do you have a link for that? Yeah, yeah, I'll put it in now. Uh, yeah, yeah uh, another one I, I find, uh, especially when working with Core Data, uh, is uh, Base.app, which is a SQLite client. So it's nice to be able to take a look at your data and. Uh, you know, kind of try and figure out when you're when you're trying to debug a core data app and things aren't making sense to actually go look at the data. It's a lot easier than uh, than trying to use the SQLite three command command line, which is not always going to format things in a way that you you can make sense out of. So that's another one. That's one. Yeah, that's one that I downloaded last week and in and, and began using. Yeah, and yeah, really saved my butts with a SQLite file. I was trying to work out what the heck was going wrong with. Yeah, there was someone um, here earlier today who was actually using MO Generator. So, yes. yeah, we use that. Big fan we like of MO that. Generator, yeah. And, uh, if you're not using MO Generator, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> so, MO Generator is a, uh, a tool for automatically generating the, um, the NS managed object uh, subclasses for core data entities. Um, and it does some pretty cool stuff. Like, uh, it will automatically, it, when, when you generate a class, the way it normally does it, is to split it out into a, uh, a subclass that contains all of the core data properties, the relationships, and so on. And then it also subclasses that for you, which means that you can write your custom code into this other subclass. And when you, uh, if you need to regenerate the, uh, the core data entity part of it from an updated schema, it doesn't like break all of your custom code. It leaves that alone in this separate file. Why shouldn't that be part of part of core data? I mean, it's been around for a while. And the idea there was something similar for UF a million years ago. It's, to me, it seems like it, it, it always thought it was kind of a hole in, in the whole core data stack. Oh, I agree. It is. Uh, someone in the chat room, uh, Bitfunks, just suggested um, Accessorizer from yeah. uh, yes. Canon. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's another one there. Um, there's uh, there's one called Dash, which is actually it's a it's a documentation and snippet uh, program. You, it sits in the background. You hit it with a with a uh, key combination, brings it up. Uh, the 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 sort of nice thing about it, although it's it still needs a little bit of work, is that it's a lot faster than Xcode's documentation windows. If you want to look up the you know the, the, the a particular um, method in a particular class, you can often get to it an awful lot faster using Dash than you can uh, with the built-in Xcode for documentation viewer which which tends to be a little slow on, on the searching lately mm. yeah I was on the plane coming over here and I don't know what I'd done to Xcode but anytime I tried to go to documentation for iOS uh, it said I needed an internet connection uh, oh I know so you did that you launched it yeah that's <laughs> it that's it yeah <laughs> but I could get to the Mac documentation fine, but I couldn't get to the iOS stuff, so it was very frustrating whenever I'm on a plane with no internet access and want to do some work. So, it's an excuse to drink, I guess. Yeah. Well, it was not yeah, a flight, so how much drinking can I really do? No, don't know until you try. Yeah, that's true. Uh, another tool that I use, um, uh, I'm not currently using it at the moment because I'm using a certain build of Xcode that we can't talk about, but uh, yeah, uh, Copilot is um, 
really quite useful for, for searching around projects and everything, uh, finding the code uh, that you're looking for as a, as a plug into Xcode. Okay, I, I haven't actually used that. So, you know, what, what does it give you? What does it do? Well, a lot of it is um, <clears throat> I use it for fast fast searching of files and, and finding files and things like that. It just uh, so um, you know, just with a, a keyboard shortcut, and then start typing the file name you want, and it just brings up the list, and you just quickly you know use your mouse and, and find it and get into it. So for switching between files, it's really fast and, and stuff like that. But it, it it's got a whole bunch of stuff that I just really don't take full advantage of because the trouble is with these tools they've, they've become really really powerful um but you've got to spend some time um sort of learning them really haven't you so it's uh um yeah and, and so you just get it for one reason and you learn that and then you don't uh, uh, necessarily carry on <laughs> uh, learning the rest of the tool and um <clears throat> what's the app launcher application Oh, I use, I can't remember again, you know, I use it to launch apps and whatever else, and it's got about 9,000 features that I, I never oh, use. Oh, Alfred? No, it was well before Alfred. Um, no, it doesn't matter. Launch bar. Sorry? Launch bar, that's it, launch bar. I mean, it's got about 10,000 features, and I use about three. Um, and, uh, uh, so, but the point is, these things, you know, 20 bucks or whatever they are, I mean, if they save, if they one thing that you use regularly, then, you know, it's just uh, um, worth doing. That's copilot.cc. Go, go have a look. It's got a big list of all the stuff on there. Um, and, and what it does, um, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things you'll either use and in your or, or you won't use, but you can plug it in and try that out. So to open files in Xcode is pretty. There's already a built-in shortcut for that. The one the thing that makes Codepilot uh, better and a step up is it searches for symbols as well. So if you're just looking for a particular class name, or even you you know a particular method name, you can type in uh, just like the. Um, beginning characters in your camel casing it'll it'll parcels out and put them in a list open quickly now support yeah. symbols actually okay yeah so it, the symbols thing was the thing that that made me use codepilot instead if you use the uh from jetbrains their app code i think i'm pretty sure it'll support the same as well because uh, their php and ruby versions do so oh does anybody actually use that i um i i kind of go go to in like fits and starts i was using it today um just to work around a problem I was having with Xcode, which I will after our discussion file a radar over, obviously. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of, like, w w when I'm in an app code using mode, it does feel like I get a lot of code written quicker, particularly, like, if you're writing, uh, say, a, a delegate object, then it can just, you know, spit out all of the, uh, the, the, the methods, uh, like template versions of the um, delegate protocol methods, really quickly and so you know you don't have to remember what the methods are that you need to um, add because you can just choose them from a list and that's you know, one of the features that really helps me but then I mean because it can't edit like core data models and it can't edit uh, interface builder uh, zips or storyboards you end up kind of switching back to Xcode uh, anyway and then often when I'm in Xcode like for that reason I just end up staying there and it, it doesn't kind of compel me to come back into app code sorry uh, i've never actually used it but i, I swear by their php mm -hmm. version um it's the only thing that i'll use for php now um and it's fantastic so i can imagine that it's it's quite good okay if there's anybody out there who is a who does the majority of their development in app code um i'd love to get you on the show and let's just talk about it we're not going to slam you we're not going to you know necessarily <laughs> because I mean you'll have your reasons for using it and why you want to do it and it may be just very personal to you but I would love to know what it is that makes you use it over Xcode um, uh, because Xcode we have lots of complaints but equally it's a pretty darn good product so 
Um, you know, it's, uh, but the guys at JetBrains have obviously felt that you know, there is an alternative needed. Um, it's at 1.5, so I'm guessing they haven't abandoned it in 1.0, which means people must have bought it, so there must be people out there using it. Right, any more uh, resources, or are we going to move on? We must uh, um, begin well, drawing this show to an end soon, but uh, carry on. Yep, yep sorry. Uh, the quick little thing about code documentation, that's something I, because I you know, played around with Doxygen some time ago, and, and, and now I come across this thing called uh, Apple Doc, which uses uh, Doxygen, but it seems to, to, it goes all the way through and produces Apple-style documentation for it. It looks really clever. Do you have a link for that? It's in, yeah, it's in the chat thing, and I'll, I'll oh, pass it on to it because in the show. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's good. And then, it's, it, since my, 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 my brain is all foggy, but uh, somebody said, well, have you talked about MDevCon and, and Amsterdam? And, and I, I think we, we mentioned it, but we were talking about it before we went on air. I, I just have a quick question, though. I mean, so Amsterdam movement is... is mm-hmm. It, we're coming up on the year anniversary when I first heard about it, which was at last year's NS conference. Um, and it, I'm just curious now that, they, that you guys are at the headquarters, you know, so there actually is a, a physical place now, which wasn't the case when uh, when Scotty and I were there this past summer. So can you just give a, a quick kind of appreciation of, of how you how you see the Amsterdam you know, whole uh, effort evolving? There's been... Um there's been loads of people uh, around. I mean, I, I arrived here on uh, Friday and uh, came over to the headquarters and there were about uh, 10 or 12 people just working. So uh, I should explain, the Amsterdam headquarters are in this you know, quite impressive uh, converted uh, brick building. It's, you know, it was an empty space that the, uh, the government has kind of turned over to various projects uh, in different parts of it. And Amsterdam is in this... Um, part that has a uh, there's some art students downstairs or architecture architecture students, yeah. architecture students making um, have office space and office furniture out of like uh, disused cardboard crates and things which yeah is re- really really interesting to see and then we're we're in the uh, the top floor of this thing and there's some co-working space <laughs> the people who are working here are probably getting annoyed by uh, us shouting into a microphone. Um, with uh, a couple of side rooms that are a bit of uh, boxed off from the thing. Um, so, you know, the, every, every day that I've been over here, there's been, um, you know, a bunch of people working, uh, kind of working together as well, talking about their uh, code, sharing ideas. Um, we had a, a big outing for uh, lunch. We had a bit of a, a beer party last night. So, you know, okay, like the, the social side of it is obviously uh, working very well. Um, but people are also like sharing their ideas. They're talking about uh, you know what they're up to. They're um, solving each other's bugs and like fixing problems for each other. And uh, you know, th- this uh, was also happening at MDevCon with about 250 people over here. So it's, it's just really good <coughs> to have so many um, people to talk to about uh, what we do. Like you know, I come from Oxford, and you know, Scotty will know we have the the local Cocoa Heads over in Swindon, where. You know, if, if you're lucky, half a dozen people sit in a uh, a pub and uh, you know, kind of shoot the breeze once a month. Um, but having kind of that thing going on while you're working all day uh, is really cool. What you mean, so beer, beer, like- beer drinking while you're working all day? <laughs> that sounds it, cool. it, it helps when you see the code I write, <laughs> or it helps explain things. I would say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what about is, so, is, is a developer movement? I mean, I know you guys are not necessarily, I mean, you're over there um, getting experience of it and you're not necessarily so running it. I mean, we need, let's, <clears throat> let's be very clear, a year isn't very long. So, you know, um, I think our expectations of things happening almost immediately uh, uh, get far too high often these days. But, you know, um, Amsterdam was, it, its vision was to become this community of developers that people would actually begin to move there. Now, now Saul, you're spending quite a long, you, you're not just, you haven't just popped in for a week. You, you've been there for quite a while. So, um, you can define why you've done that in just a moment as well. But so, you know, you must be experiencing Amsterdam on a day-to-day -day level, uh, a day-to-day -day thing. You know, so give us, give us your, uh, why you went and then what you've seen and, you know, what you're thinking about that afterwards. Yeah, so uh, I, I, um, I embarked on this kind of two-month-long trip. I got, uh, got permission from the boss. Um, I'm really grateful for that. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so I decided to take two months and uh, spend it here in Amsterdam. Uh, I'll be taking a side trip for uh, NS Conference. Uh, but other than that, I've been here for the past three weeks, uh, just kind of uh, living the life as I would, uh, kind of giving it a trial run, I suppose. Uh, and that was really the reason. Uh, you know, I, I, I see and I, I see I see how Amsterdam is doing in, in the social side. I see the meetups uh, in the states. Um, I see, you know, some tweets here and there, like Amsterdam's doing all this cool stuff. So I wanted to take two months and not just try it out, not just get a one week or two week kind of thing. I wanted to really get to know everybody. Uh, I wanted people to get to know me. Um, I really wanted to be involved because I, I believe that this particular style of uh, community uh, really needs uh, all the help it can get for me and everybody. Uh, and I really just wanted to to invest as much time and uh, effort as I could to uh, to get that uh, going. And, you know, yeah, it's been here for a year and I kind of maybe expected a little bit more, but, you know, things got to build up and that's why I'm here. Um, but since I've been here, uh, from the American perspective, uh, it has been odd, you know, going out at, at the social hour at uh, um, doing things until two, three in the morning and, and walking uh, from one end of Amsterdam to the other. And in the States, I'd be totally freaked out, paranoid that like somebody's going to jump me. Um, it doesn't happen here. It's actually quite the pleasant walk in the middle of the night. Uh, things are well lit. You know, you get the occasional uh, drunk person, but they're just stumbling on their way home as well. So it's, it's, been, it's been quite pleasant, uh, and I'm, I'm really enjoying my time. I've uh, visited uh, a few places. Um, I went on a, a cultural trip to, uh, to Germany uh, the first weekend I was here. Uh, that was uh, a quite quite an experience. Um, if you followed my Twitters and uh, saw some of the links and photos there, um, you probably know what I'm talking about. Uh, if not, I'm sure I'll send some links to Scotty and, and you can follow up there. But uh, I visited uh, the Van Hoch Museum. Yes, I've, 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 I'm, 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 I'm Dutchy now. I've learned how to pronounce it. That's about the only Dutch word I can pronounce or Dutch name. So, uh, so that was a really good museum, and we went to the Rijksmuseum last week, and uh, I plan to do so many... So you're on a jolly. You're not working at all, really. No, are. no. <laughs> all right. So, so, so I, I mean, think that, how, that... How many, let, let's go. How many museums would you visit in your average developer week at home? Uh, we don't have museums in the States. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair point, fair point. <laughs> Not okay, so what about the working environment? What's, yeah, I mean, um, when I was over there last year, I mean, I say, yeah, I mean, we were literally a couple of months in. Um, you know, the main working environment was a couple of porter cabins stacked on each other at the docks um, by the bay. And, um, you know, I went down there for a couple of days. And, you know, uh, there wasn't really anyone using them on those days. Now, that's not 
really you know, that surprising because they're only open a couple of days. They'd only been open a little while, so that wasn't a criticism. You know, so is there a general central working community in Amsterdam now, or is that still sort of not well, quite got off the ground yet? Yeah, so with, with the HQ here, uh, I think people have found a physical place to congregate, and uh, it's kind of, I guess, been uh, lucky that, that I did arrive when I did. Uh, the HQ's only been open not that long, right? A couple of months, according to, to Judy over here, and uh, I've been here for three weeks, so... Uh, yeah, I just got lucky and it, it's been nice. I mean, yeah, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, five star hotel kind of accommodations for the, the HQ, but this is a really great environment to work. People come here and we all just kind of have a really good time working together, whether we're working on the same thing or not. Uh, I really enjoy everybody's company. I really enjoy the fact that, um, there's so many cultures here. I mean, there's, there's, uh, a lot of us from the States for sure. There's, you know, we've got Graham from, from uh, the UK, and we've got some Irish people here. We had people from Italy, uh, you know, all over Europe. Um, and there's people, you know, it's, it's just nice to have the, this, this, this gathering of cultures uh, to gather in this one physical location. And, and this is, I think, what's going to make Ap Amsterdam and Amsterdam uh, really, really, uh, a really good uh, community. So are those so, cultures there right now because of the, the conference? Or, I mean, on your normal week when the conference wasn't on, is it mainly locals and you're the only you're the only stranger or are other people doing what you're doing? Matteo is actually on the board, isn't he? He's, uh, he's one a, of the core. He's one of the main volunteers, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, he's Italian and like, lives here now. You've got, um, uh, Marcus Palmanto is around all the time. Uh, Finnish, he's, uh, he's now moved to Amsterdam and uh, lives here full time. Uh, as well as uh, Mike and Judy, there are a couple of other, um, sorry, Mike Lee and, uh, and Judy Chen, there is a couple of, other Americans who have moved over here. Uh, Big Nerd Ranch have set up here, and Mike's doing a lot of training for them. And uh, Nevin's holding down the Irish contingent. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Saul, how did you find the place where you're staying? Because that, that, I'm still hoping to spend the summer here, and, and I know that there was the uh, the Amsterdam kind of um, whatever kind of website with 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 classified ads. Um, and I had a couple of leads for that, but I haven't followed up, and it's time for me to to look into it again. You know, where, how did you find your place? Uh, yeah, I'm not staying at any one place for very long right now. <laughs> so I, I, I'm uh, just using uh, Airbnb uh, on occasion, um, or if I just need a couple of days here or there, I'm going to just borrow a couch. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, this is going to be an adventure. This is uh, kind of one of those European adventure things with some work and some fun kind of mixed together. Interesting. And, but if you but uh, you wanted to to say hey you know I want to come for for a full six seven weeks and you wanted to have you know not have to to, to move one you know every couple of days are there any resources for that that you've come across? So on Airbnb you also have the ability to rent by the month. Um, if you're going to ah. do that, um, I recommend looking for the entire place uh, by yourself, um, just so you don't have any neighbors or, or roommates to deal with. A lot of times on Airbnb you get. Uh, the owner and they just share a bedroom with you and or not with you they share their bedroom and they give you a bedroom to sleep in that is not theirs <laughs> you should see what he can get for 50 euro a night yeah <laughs> that would be you sure you're in the, the right part of amsterdam so it was the <laughs> did you notice that you were in the front room with a window and there was this light on all the time? <laughs> Red light. Um, I, no, I, I think if you're coming, planning to come out here for a long period of time, what you want to do is, is to reach out to somebody like Mike or, or one of the other uh, people on the board and, and let them know. And they, they're the ones who are going to be able to 
Yeah, Judy. Judy. Yeah, Judy. Judy, Judy will help yourself, you. She's so. a very good resource to help uh, find, uh, uh, you know, some kind of rental. Um, there's there's yeah. a lot of other websites too that will let you. Um, uh, if you're going to be an expat and maybe you want to stay here for six months or a year, um, there's other ways to do it. Um, Judy can definitely hook you up with some of that. Um, but yeah, um, you definitely just want to kind of get your own place if you're going to stay here that long, just so you don't have any more uh, any conflicts. Yeah. Well, I think. Um, well, I, I think. Uh, We've been, um, sorry, I was just showing myself back in my headphones there. Someone's letting me come out the speakers. Um, I think we've uh, had some, some quite good chats there. It sounds like Amsterdam is, uh, is, is sort of developing nicely, and um, I'm sure uh, Mike and Judy love it if it's developing a bit faster. So come on, guys, get over there. Maybe you, um, if you come into Venice Conference, you can link up with them, get a bit more information, maybe start organizing your trip. So that will be, uh, that'll be good. So we're just going to finish um, just talking a little bit about Venice Conference as we wrap up now, because... Um, uh, Jeff and um, Graham, you're doing main sessions, and Saul, you're doing a Blitz talk. So um, let's start with uh, you, Graham. Just tell us a little bit about the talk you're going to be doing next week at uh, NS Conference. Uh, I'm going to be talking about um, cross-platform Objective-C development. And that, uh, so we start with the problem of how do we uh, run code on, that works on both the iPhone and the iPad. And then we add the Mac, and then we go to some strange places, and we get our Objective-C running on uh, on Linux and on Windows as well. Sounds scary. Um, <laughs> Jeff, your, um, uh, your talk's called Backstage Awesome. Yeah, what's that about? Uh, well, basically what it is, is uh, you know, one of the things that I've noticed going to a lot of the conferences is, that, is there's a lot of talks on how to make your apps usable and, and all the stuff that the user sees. And of course, that's the most important thing, you know, obviously if your if your your app is a delight to use and, and the underlying code is just, you know, uh, bailing wire and sealing wax, that's fine. You know, it's it's gonna make your life more difficult down the road, but obviously that's that's the secondary thing. But you know, we had to live with this code for a long time. So um, the idea is how to make you know your code more maintainable and, and sort of just a, a one of the when we first started Martian Craft, a lot of our work came from people coming in saying you know, we, we hired another company, the app's either not working, it's crashing, it's got, you know, it's got really low reviews because of it's not behaving correctly. And so a lot of our early work was was taking existing apps and sort of fixing them. And out of that came sort of a, a lot of learning. Um, you know, they say you can't learn from other people's mistakes, and, and that's just not true if you have to fix them. Um, so it's just sort of a lot of lessons learned about um, things that will make your life more difficult down the road, things that you can do to make your, your, your life easier in terms of maintaining your code base, extending it, and just, just how not to shoot yourself in the foot if you can. That sounds um, <clears throat> really cool. Really look forward to that one. And Saul, what are you doing for us in a Blitz talk? Yeah, so I'm going to teach you how to shoot yourself in the foot. <laughs> uh, so my talk is on uh, the Objective-C runtime and all the fun stuff and craziness that you can do to uh, really write convoluted code so you uh, can have people like Jeff rewrite it for you. Note to self, getting <laughs> slide about not using runtime. <laughs> well, no, so uh, a lot of times you can actually uh, harness the power of the runtime to get rid of a lot of that crappy code. So uh, it's, it's really about... Um, Utilizing that, uh, you know, for good and not evil, and uh, <laughs> reducing code, uh, making things clear, and and doing things um, less by hard coding stuff and getting rid of things like if else statements and um, 
you know, anything that you would do copy and paste for to really get rid of that and use the runtime to kind of uh, enhance that code so you're not uh, reinventing the wheel with a, with a copy and paste. Um, yeah, the runtime is a great tool to use properly. Really, yes. If you use the runtime well, and uh, you can, and if the thing is, is like a lot of people have trouble being creative about Objective C because they don't understand the distinction between uh, function calling and mes message passing, and the message passing is the important step of of uh, harnessing the runtime. So uh, I hope to explore that more, and uh, yeah, it should be fun. And I'm the last one of the conference before the Cocoa Rumble. That's so really interesting. Everybody, because you, you you have a 15 minute split talk. Let's talk. It's just taken you seven minutes to describe what it's going to be about. It's, so, <laughs> it's going to be um, quite an interesting session. You, must, right. you may need to work on speed for that yeah. one. Right, I'm going to draw this uh, this uh, shambles to a close. I think um, actually we've managed to um, uh, get some quite good information in there in a, in a few bits. And, uh, uh, it's been really quite interesting. So um, let's just give you all a chance to uh, just uh, tell everybody who you are and where they can uh, follow you on Twitter, if you have a Twitter account and a blog and anything like that. And if you want to tell us about an app you write or something, feel free. Um, so let's start with um, Jeff. Uh, okay. Uh, my name is Jeff LaMarche. Uh, uh, I've written a few books. Uh, Co-founder of a company called Martian Craft, which uh, develops iPhone, Mac, and occasionally Android software. Um, I'm uh, Jeff underscore LaMarche, L-A-M-A-R-C-H-E on Twitter. Uh, I'm Jeff at Martian Craft. And uh, I think that's it. Excellent. Uh, let's Excellent. go with, uh, next with Rob. Yeah, uh, well, my name is Rob Elkin. Um, I, I'm from Northern Ireland. I work for a company. Uh, we do a product called Server Density. It's a server monitoring solution. Um, it's at serverdensity.com. Uh, and I'm Rob Elkin on Twitter. And Mr. Mora. So I am Saul Mora, and you can get me on Twitter. I'm at Casa de Mora. Uh, I also do a uh, alternative podcast for Coco people. It's called NS Brief. Listen to this next piece of information and go subscribe. Yeah, so uh, you can you can find uh, all the shows on iTunes. You just search for NS Brief, or you can go to nsbrief.com. Uh, you can follow us on the Twitters. We are at NS Brief, and uh, it's a, just a Coco development show talking about uh, other. Other topics that uh, you know, I just find interesting uh, from a developer's perspective. So we cover topics uh, ranging from how to run your indie business to uh, the physics of audio uh, in relation to um, writing core audio uh, code. So it's it's a wide a wide range of things that's uh, of interest to me, which is uh, a Cocoa developer. Excellent, and uh, Graham. My so, uh, Graham Lee. I'm the uh, smartphone security boffin. For O2 Labs, which is uh, a part of the uh, O2 mobile network carrier in the UK. Um, my Twitter is I am League, which I've discovered in Amsterdam means I am empty, but we'll try, uh, <laughs> try to avoid drawing any conclusions from that. I A M L E E G. Mr. Fox. <laughs> oh, to be in. No, I'm John Fox. I have a product called Memory Miner, which you can read all about at memoryminer.com. I sometimes blog about it at memoryminer.com slash blog. And on Twitter, you can follow me as at Jembe, D-J-E-M-B-E, like the West African drum. Wonderful. And I am Scotty from My Developer TV. You can follow me uh, on Twitter as MacDevNet. Well, this time next week, there will be no show because we are going to be at NS Conference 
Uh, we would have just wrapped up our last session of the day, which is WWSJD, What Would Steve Jobs Do? by the one and only Mr. Mike Lee, Mayor of Amsterdam. And uh, by this time now, we should be well and tucked into the bar and uh, getting ready for the uh, the conference dinner. So if you're used to listening live and you're not at NS conference, well, you're just going to have to cry and miss us. But uh, we will be back hopefully the week after that and we'll be all suntanned from the glorious rays of developer love that we're going to find at NS conference. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but it was... Um, there we are. I don't even know we'll be queuing for the antibiotics. <laughs> yeah, so bring your sun cream <laughs> and oil-based products. <laughs> Let's... He he really wants to come to Amsterdam, I think. <laughs> oh, all I can say is um, thanks for listening, folks. Chat room tonight, you've been really, uh, really great uh, as ever. Um, most of the time you focused on what we're saying and not just spoken to yourselves as you normally do. But um, uh, you have a good weekend. And everyone, until next time, you all take care. Thank you.